Welcome to Three Makes Baby, a podcast about fertility, family, and genetics. I'm Jana Rupnow, a professional fertility counselor and the author of Three Makes Baby, How to Parent Your Donor-Conceived Child. Today, we are going to be hearing from Brittany at Everything But The Egg. And Brittany has shared with me that she is now pregnant and has conceived using a donor egg. Brittany talks about a lot of things, and I can't wait for you to listen to what she has to say. So I got a second opinion, a third opinion, and by the time that I got my third opinion, they were like, oh, we can do this. We can get you pregnant with your eggs. You don't need a donor. Um, let's move forward. So I was all excited. I was like, okay, let's do this. Like, let's, I had one follicle that cycle, and I'm like, let's take this one follicle out and like, let's do this. And um, then they realized that I had some, which none of the other doctors realized, I have a very um, like odd, um, not common genetic, X-linked genetic mutation, which will affect 50% of any boys that I make. So that on top of like making no more than four follicles a cycle, I just was kind of like, like, I just felt like using my eggs, I would have been signing up to fail. And um, I had already, I'd already gone through so much emotionally by having like, I think I had four or five just canceled cycles. And I was already just tired. I was so tired. And, um, and my husband was like, like, screw it, let's move forward. Like, you have to have faith in God, you know, like, God's in charge of this, not, not us. And I was just kind of like, I don't want to put myself through this. Like, I just want to be a mom. I just want to be a mom. Yeah, it was just, it was a very um, just dark and isolating time in my life. Mm -hmm. And I know my husband felt like really helpless because he couldn't, he couldn't help me. Because I don't think that people really understand that, like, you know, when you have canceled cycles or failed cycles, or, you know, even when you finally make the decision to move on to donor gametes, it's a loss. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I was grieving these children that I never had. But it was like this idea of these babies that I thought I was going to have one day that would be half of me and half of my husband. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if it's the same as like actually having a real loss, but that's, that's how I felt. And I don't yeah. I don't think that even my husband understood that that's how I felt. I don't think anybody did. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So true. Genetic loss for a lot of people is um, a core loss. And so a core loss is something that, I mean, just think of it, it kind of, it hits you to the core. And, you know, the best way I can think to describe it is that it influences that whole sense of purpose we have and sense of meaning. Mm -hmm. It affects and impacts who we feel we are. Because, you know, reproduction and having children and having a family is, you know, it's a huge part of how we identify as a person. So that core loss, experiencing a core loss is so, so difficult. It's really, really hard to go through. And there is a huge grieving process, which not a lot of people understand. But now I think women are able to give it a name and men are able to say, okay, this is grief. Mm-hmm. And society doesn't recognize that because, you know, we we get so much support when we lose a family member, you know, a loved one, and it's beautiful, the support we get, but that same support isn't there for women and men going through infertility, even though the loss feels as deep and as difficult. 
Yeah, absolutely. I definitely felt that. And I felt, I don't want to say misunderstood, but I felt like no one could understand what I was going through because mm -hmm. none of my friends or family had been through anything similar. Mm -hmm. So um, it was just like very isolating at that time. Oh, for sure. Of my life. <laughs> It yeah. is. And there's no, there's no like harder feeling, I think, than that feeling of isolation, that you are different mm -hmm. from the rest or that you, nobody gets you. I mean, I think that is just one of the most difficult, like human feelings, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's so, do you still feel that? Does it still kind of carry over a little bit now that you're pregnant? So I would say for me, um, I took almost a whole year to just kind of like grieve in between like picking our donor and then doing our transfer. And I went to a therapist to work through everything. I went to like a third party reproductive specialist and um, I joined like an infertility support group because I really wanted to um, grieve as best as I could before I got pregnant. I felt like I really needed to like wrap my head around it and completely understand what I was getting myself into. I didn't want to try to convince myself that because I carry this baby, it could possibly look like me. Or if I get a donor who looks close enough to me, maybe I'll forget that it's, that it's not biologically my child, you know, like mm -hmm. I just, I felt like I really, if I could completely understand and let go of everything completely, um, that it would be better in the long run, run for my children. Mm. Um, Cause I want to be able to like, you know, be like, Oh yeah. Like mama loves to, to cook and do that too. You probably get that from mama, but I also want to be able to like embrace their differences and be like, Oh, you know, your donor was really good at, playing soccer like mm -hmm. maybe that's where you get that from yeah. you know and because I personally feel like that's important um to be able to recognize the similarities and the differences that yeah. my kids are going to have for me yeah did you and did you have an experience growing up or sometime in your life that that really highlighted that for you or or made that you know more important you know, I actually, like, for a long time, swore I was adopted. <laughs> oh, you did? <laughs> because I felt, like, so different from my family. And, like, now that I'm older, I can, I've, like, turned into my mom. Um, so I know I'm not adopted. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, there was a lot of time in my life where, I mean, even, like, my older brother, him and I, are, we are nothing alike. We are very, very different. Um, my little brother is, like, the boy version of me. So, I don't know. I mean, I never really felt like I was like in the right family, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't really even know why that was a thought that I had. Um, Something you felt. I just, just, yeah. Yeah. It's just that I, I felt like it might be important. And I, I want to be able to like talk to my kids about their, their conception and not cry. Mm -hmm. Um, and if they ask me stories or questions about their donor, I want to be able to tell them without getting like choked up, you know? And I mean, it could not even be a big deal. You know, I just, I just felt like I wanted to try and get through as much of it as possible. So I'm not dealing with it in the future. You know, mm -hmm. um, I wanted to be as comfortable with, with donor conception as I can be. And like, I'm not going to lie. I still have, 
I mean, like one of my thoughts right now is um, I really hope I have a boy because mm. I feel like it'll just be a little mini of my husband. And um, I feel like boys are less emotional about donor conception mm -hmm. and it'll give me a little bit of time to work on how I'm going to tell the story. And I think I'll feel more comfortable um, telling it to like my son versus a daughter. So mm -hmm. I like, that is just like, and I know it's probably irrational for me to even think that, but that is like a thought. I was talking to my husband about it last night. I was like, I, you know, he was like, well, what do you want? I'm like, well, I'm just happy to be pregnant. He's like, obviously, but like, what are you hoping for? Mm. And I told him like, I kind of want a boy because I feel like it'll be, it'll give me like another couple of years of, of um, like getting like even more used to the donor conception idea and like talking about it and telling my baby about it, you know? Yeah. Have you ever seen any like numbers or percentages about curiosity, um, children's curiosity versus if they're a boy or a girl? Like, do have you seen something that said boys are less curious or inqu inquire less, or is it sort of just a mo maybe more general experience or feeling you've had about that? So it's just a feeling and like the crazy thing about it is that both of my brothers really wanted to do like the, the 23 and me uh -huh. and ancestry and like find out about like our genetics and our DNA and you know where we come from and I couldn't care less. I was just kind of like, oh, uh -huh. I don't want to do it. It's fine. You know, so like uh -huh. I've even like thought about that. Like, well, both of my brothers cared more about that, but it's for some reason it's just in my ingrained in my head that that a guy, that a boy would care less about finding out more about, about their donor, you know? And like I said, it's probably completely irrational, but it's just, it's just the thought that I've had now that I'm pregnant. <laughs> mm -hmm. In my experience, I've seen both boys that were curious and girls, but I think, I don't know that it has to do with gender. I think it'd be an interesting study. I don't know that we have anything out mm. there. It certainly would be interesting. And, you know, there may be some information that if anybody out there is listening, has any um, information on that, that would be good to know. The only thing that I proposed in my book was that there is, there are certain members of the population that are highly sensitive. They have the highly sensitive trait, which is a normal trait found in the DNA. And they are tend to be more deeper thinkers and more curious mm. about things. And so possibly they could be more curious about their origins, but that can be male or female. So there's not more sensitive females than males. And so it can definitely go either way. They're equally men and women that are have that trait, even though society, mm. you know, would want you to believe that that's not the case for men, that it actually, it actually is. And it's not just about, it's not about being sensitive like getting your feelings hurt that's what people misunderstood it's understand it's about a depth of processing and about a, a nervous system that's finely tuned and analytical and things like that so if anything I, I wonder if maybe kids that have that trait would be more curious about their donor but even so you know I think that's you raise such a good point that there is that fear that like, I, I don't want them to be curious right and so it's like how do we get past that fear of well I don't even want them to to want to be curious because that that I don't know, you tell me that feels maybe intimidating or does it feel like you just feel bad that they're curious or what, what's coming up there? Well, I mean, obviously I would love if, 
person. Like it's like, oh, I don't care. I don't need to know anything about them. But I also mm-hmm. feel that once I have my children and I raise them, I think my thought process on that is going to be different because I'm going to know, like, I'm their mom, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not going to feel like it's going to make me any less a mom. Um, I just do. I just think that that just comes up from time to time because it's just a worry that's in the back of my head now that I'm like pregnant, you know, but, um, the way that I, I try to look at it is like, you know, when someone's about to have, like they have a a child and then they're about to have their second child. And I always hear people say like, Oh my gosh, I would think there's no way I could love this other baby as much as I love my, my firstborn baby. Like, I don't even know how that's possible. And then they have their second baby and they're like, Oh my God, my heart just grew like double the size. I didn't even think I could love another child as much. Mm -hmm. I kind of try to look at it like that. You know, if my kids do decide to have a relationship or seek out their donor, it doesn't make me any less their mom or make them love me any less than they love me. Their heart's just growing a little bit more for this other person who helped them be who they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's enough love to go around. There's enough love. Yes. Yeah, that's like yeah. definitely more of a mindset of of abundance, you know, of there's there's plenty, there's enough to go around and there's there's room enough for for it all. And so I can see like you're you're heading in that direction or you're there, but there's still those normal fears that come up, you know, that even though you you know you want that and and you you know intellectually your brain is like, yeah, this is good, this is right. And then your feelings, you know, we're often in conflict, you know, where we're like, but are my, I still feel worried or I feel anxious mm-hmm. about it. And so that's totally normal to have those differences, you know, like it's almost like our feelings have to catch up to our, to our mind or to our intentions. For me, there was a big gap there too for a while. And then eventually that gap just closes. And so the more you continue to work on it, and like you said, be comfortable being a parent and feel secure in that parent-child relationship as your baby's here and you know, your that bond grows, the attachment grows over time. You know that that's what parenting really is—is is that relationship. And so, yeah, yeah. So you be, you get more confident, but you're right. You're so right that all those fears are just playing right now, right? They're playing on you. You know, before you yeah. know, and and that can be just so hard and so, you know, it's so overwhelming. And so, yeah, I think I love to give people that notes like sort of that reassurance that you know that over time as you continue to get more comfortable things think things do get easier they really do and so you know there will be challenges but those challenges can be handled and I guess that that's kind of my message and the message of my book is that yeah there will be challenges so let's go in with the eyes wide open Mm -hmm. but just also with that positive outlook and that optimism that that we can handle these challenges and there might be new skills that have to be learned and there might be deep, heavy moments and dark moments of emotional grief to walk through. But that if you walk through all that, that, that there's just a, is a beautiful, beautiful, you know, family life and growth and healing on the other side. So it's a, it's a hard process to walk through. Very hard. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I know that with time, it's going to get, it's going to get better. You know, right now I feel like I'm kind of in like this unknown territory of, okay, like, what am I having? How is this going to be? What is our family going to look like? You know? And Mm -hmm. I think once 
once the baby's here, I'm all of that, like, I'll, I'll push through whatever I need to push through with my kids um, in order to just to be a mom and, and to be a good mom. You know, I just want to always keep their, um, their emotions and I just want to always put them first, you know, whatever, whatever they need, which is part of the reason why I, I did all the therapy that I did before getting pregnant. And I took so much time for my transfer because if they are like, Hey, I want to try to find my donor. I want to be able to be like, okay, let's, let's do this and not feel sick to my stomach over it. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What would you say the biggest thing that you got from, from doing that therapy and preparing? What was, what would you say the biggest thing you, you, you kind of got from that or the biggest takeaway if there was one? one thing and it was probably many well, but you know yeah honestly I kind of feel like before I started the therapy um I don't think I completely like understood that my kids were not gonna look like me or probably be very much like me I think I still was kind of like into the whole like oh well epigenetics they could do this epigenetics can do that or oh I'm you know, I'm going to be cooking the baby for nine months and raising the baby. And I think that the therapist really kind of drilled it in mine and my husband's head that like our, our kids are not going to be half of me. They're not going to share my DNA. They're not going to probably look anything like me. And like, at first I was kind of like, whoa, like when we started going to the therapy, I was like, dang, this lady, like, is kind of gnarly. Like she really wants to make mm. sure that I understand like what we're doing, but in the long run, I'm grateful for it because I think it's going to really help me to just like, like be okay with the differences. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, completely. I do know. Actually, I had a, a lady through the adoption agency kind of say something similar to me and you know she's like how do you feel about adoption and I was like oh I feel great about it you know I had such a great story and great childhood and she said well just because you feel that way doesn't mean your child will and I remember just yeah. like it was like a gut punch <gasps> like wow really this oh my goodness there's something wait there could be some stuff here that I don't want to see right now and so yeah and it it was I was kind of mad at her <laughs> you know it's like I can't believe she yeah. said that to me but it really was. It kind of sunk in. It made me think about it. And they go, you know what? She's right. This might be mm -hmm. different. This will be different. It is a different story. So yeah, I like that. I mean, at the same time, you know, it is hard to hear those things from, from people, but if it does push you to that next place, then that's where it, it's definitely helpful. Was she an adoption counselor or, or um, she said third party reproduction yeah. counselor, but did she, mm -hmm. she obviously had experience and understood that genetic differences in families and what's all comes with that. And you know what? We don't fully understand epigenetics yet. We really don't know. I think it's too early to say that there will be, there would be zero impact that you could have on your child's attributes. You know, we know yeah. there's some. And so I'm kind of in that camp of, yeah, let's be careful with the epigenetics, but let's also realize that there's a lot we still don't understand too. Well, I feel like for me at first, I thought that epigenetics would like, <laughs> like I didn't, I didn't understand epigenetics, I think correctly yeah. for the information that's out right now. Like 
my first understanding of epigenetics was that that my gene or my DNA could kind of go in and like, oh, like our donor has green eyes. My husband has brown eyes. I have blue eyes. So my thought was like, oh, well, the baby could still have blue eyes because of epigenetics, which I don't, I don't think that's correct. Now I understand it more of like, okay, if my baby has a genetic marker for diabetes, I can Mm -hmm. turn that on because Mm -hmm of diabetes being in my family. So that I, I understand it more as like it's more health stuff. Like like you said, if they're under a lot of stress, they could have, you know, different brain chemistry or be like yeah. off in, in that sense. Um, but at first I thought it was more I understood it as being more physical, like, oh, my kid could still have my nose kind of because of epigenetics. <laughs> I didn't yeah. So I, I thought it was more physical. I didn't understand that it was like health, you know, like more health-wise. Well, and that could be because there was some information, misinformation out online. They did a study in rats where the rats that were becoming pregnant, the embryo before it attached was actually taking up parts of the mother's micro DNA mm-hmm. or not micro. I may be saying that. I think it may be RNA, but part of the DNA. So basically they found in these embryos before they attached parts of the mother's messenger DNA. What that assumed is that, oh my goodness, you know, a mother can have an impact on an embryo. We don't know exactly how yet, but that's epigenetics. That's that it can impact and inter- in, intermingle. But yeah, it doesn't go in and at, as far as they know right now, it doesn't go in and do any kind of changing to the hardwiring of the DNA at all. The DNA is still, the structure of the DNA is still passed on from the, the egg or sperm that it came from. And what was happening is when the study was first released, some agencies and groups out there took that information and misrepresented it and, mm. and said that, and you can find the articles and basically said that, you know, that, the, that you passed on your DNA. And so there was this huge, um, you know, probably about a year ago, um, basically like blow up on social media of people saying that probably what you heard, which was, Hey, you can pass on your DNA to your donor baby. Mm -hmm. That was maybe agencies were doing it to try to encourage parents to feel better about the situation and not be afraid and not, you know, be resistant to it. And so that was, yeah, that was misinformation at the time. And, you know, who knows if someday they'll discover that that can be true, that there can be, you know, actual changes to the DNA structure. We don't know that, but we don't have the science that says that now. And so we're just kind of going on that. And and yeah, I totally get why you didn't understand it. It took me to write about it in my book. I had to read about it and read about it. And I was like, okay, how can I simplify this? Because I know I'm not going to describe it this way. I'm going to be completely confused about epigenetics. And I still claimed, you know, I am not a geneticist. So I just try to, you know, understand it as best I could. So I'm giving out, you know, the, hopefully the most accurate information possible. But I'm always welcome mm-hmm. to feedback from anybody who knows more about this than I do. Please, you know, call in or right in, I'm happy to make sure that their correct information is out there. But I, t- I really don't blame you one bit for being confused. Well, I actually, I actually think I read that article that you were talking about, which is what mm-hmm. confused me, because I remember the micro RNA and the rats. And I'm pretty sure that's what I read that made me think that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was that was out there. And so again, I don't remember the source, but your therapist was right. That can be misleading and and a bit dangerous because if people just sort of, you know, take that and run with it all the way, 
then there may be a there's going to be a denial of the genetic differences in your child, and mm -hmm. then your child, when they're clearly genetically different, may feel that oh, you know what, I'm not accepted by mom because she wants me to be like her, and I'm not. Mm -hmm. I'm not like her, and so either I have to a pretend that I'm okay with everything and hide hide how I really feel and feel not fully accepted and you know, as a member of the family and also maybe even protect mom and protect her grief or things like that. So that's what you see a lot of times with um, children is they end up becoming their parents' protectors. Mm -hmm. You know, there's like a role reversal almost. So for you to be able to look at those differences and say, you know what? No, I, I can come to terms with that is great because then your child will feel like you're okay with those differences and the similarities too, because there definitely will be similarities. You know, we pick up on mannerisms and, and just so many things. Like my daughter is completely different genetically from me, but she acts like a little me in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah. Her mannerisms, her sense of humor, the way she responds to things, her just the way she is, it's just, it's funny. So they do become little yous in a way, you know, it's just not necessarily physical, which is what we tend to focus on at first until they yeah. become their little person that they're going to become. And then you realize that, yeah, maybe I did give some DNA here, but they're their unique person, you know, and I just yeah. get to borrow them for a little while and, and send them on their way. So, you know, it's a huge gift and it's, it's a mind shift, you know, it's a perspective shift. Yeah, it definitely has been. I mean, the way that I thought about everything about two or maybe like a year and a half ago versus like the place that I'm in with all of it now is that it's completely different. Like, I'm really grateful that I took the time to kind of go through everything that I needed to go through and, and do the therapy and let go of everything before doing the transfer. Um, because I think I just, I think I personally needed that to be able to, yeah. to move forward and to be in a good place with it. And like, I don't want to say in acceptance, but I almost had to like accept that, that my, my kids weren't going to be biologically my children. And I had to kind of, um, like let go of the, you call them the fantasy children in your book. I had to let yeah. go of my fantasy children. I had to like yeah. write them a letter and like tell them, you know, like, this is what I thought you were going to look like. This is what I thought you were going to be like. You would get this from your dad and you were going to get this from me. And, and like, I'm sorry, I have mm -hmm. to let you go and move on to, to something else. And, and I do believe that, that this was always God's plan for me. Um, mm -hmm. I believe that like, you know, my children are coming to me through the help of our, of our donor. And, um, I think that even though they might not physically look like me, I think that I'm going to get like the little soul that I was always meant to have. Yeah. You know, that helps so much when you have that spiritual, you know, foundation, because you can go beyond the physical and you can see mm -hmm. that, you know, it's so much bigger than that. And I know that that helps so many people to be able to, to recognize something bigger than, than the physical. And yeah, I think that just gives that you that meaning and your family that meaning. I tell my daughter that she was born in my heart, but I also tell her that she was meant to be mine because, you know, we just had to work a little harder to get her. You know, we had to work harder to find her, but she was always meant to be mine. And I can see how that really makes her feel in that sense of you belong, like you belong yeah. here. You're my daughter, whether you don't look a thing like me, you're Asian, I'm Caucasian, but you mm belong in our tribe you always have mm -hmm. and so I think for that message to a child is super super important when they're genetically different to let them mm -hmm. know that they belong 
because we are such a, a, like, for lack of a better word, tribal type people, you know, humans are tribal. We Mm -hmm. like, we want to band together in our similarities. We want to, you know, join groups or sororities, or we make friends with people who look like us. That's like a natural thing that people do in their teen years is they start hanging around people that look a lot like them, or you attract a partner who looks like you. It's just human nature. Mm -hmm. And so when you have a child who's different and looks different, you have to like make a little extra effort in making sure that they know they're part of the tribe. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I, I 100% believe that. Like when you said that your daughter your daughter was always meant to be yours, I mm-hmm. 100% believe that it worked out exactly how it was supposed to. And I believe yeah. that for myself too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you know, I will say there, not that there weren't challenges and times when I second guessed that. And, you know, when we brought her home and she was struggling and I was like, whoa, maybe I was just a big dreamer with the, you know, my, (laughs) you know, starry eyed Mm -hmm. dreamer. But again, walking through those challenges and those hardships, that was all part of it too. And it didn't make it any less like legit or any less what was meant for me in my own story. And so that's same for you. You know, it's like, this is, this is your story and this is your child's story. And the more we can accept whatever our story is, then that's when the real like healing comes and so, yeah, it sounds like you've just like, you're like the model poster person for, for this, for this um, process. I mean, look what all that you've, where you started and where you've come. I mean, you were extremely receptive and open to this, to this information. How long did it take you, would you say, like start to finish to process all of this? And not, not that you're completely finished, but you know what I mean? Like to get where you are oh, right yeah, now. Totally. Yeah, I think that we chose our donor last October. So I made the decision in July of what, 2018. That was when I had that final appointment. I'm like, I'm done. So July, I tried to lock our donor down, but she was just starting a cycle and it was supposed to be her last cycle. So I was like, okay, well, I'm not ready to jump on this now. If it's meant to be, then she'll she'll do one more cycle. Mm-hmm. And then three months later, they were like, hey, she'll, she's willing to do another cycle. So we locked her down in October. Mm-hmm. Her retrieval was in February, and then we didn't transfer until the end of July. So I want to say it was like a good, it was from like July to July of really like processing everything mm-hmm. and doing the therapy and like everything that I that I had done. But I mean, the whole time I just, I just had my babies in mind the whole time and just like wanting to be the best mom that I can. So I just like kept thinking about them and like, how am I going to do this? I don't even know, there's not really a right way to do this, but like, how am I going to do this as close to the quote unquote right way as possible? Mm-hmm. So I just try to do everything that I could. And, and I know I'm going to fall short when they come. I'm not going to do it perfect. I'm just going to try to do my best and just always keep them in mind. And even if things make me feel uneasy or uncomfortable, if it's what's best for them, it's just what I want to do. Yeah. So a year, and that's, I, I would say that's a good amount of time. I mean, a, a year, it sounds about right. That doesn't mean that you have to take that long or that you need to be done within a year if you're mm-hmm. out there listening and you are, you know, going through your own process. But it is kind of good to know that it does take time. Like you won't be able to just process all of this in a few weeks and that's completely normal and completely okay. And so it takes a lot of patience to have with yourself and with the process and, and knowing that that's, that's normal. So I think that's fantastic. I mean, I really do. I think that's just amazing that you were able to, to do the work and to go in and, and now here you are and, you know, 11 months pregnant and I know you're emotional, but hopefully, you know, that you, (laughs) you, I mean, you sound like you're doing, you sound like you really are, are doing really good. 
Yeah, I, I am. I feel good too. And one thing I, I do want to say is that I did also feel at times that I would take like five steps forward, but then I would take 10 steps back. Mm-hmm. And like, I thought that I was done going through the whole grading process. And then I started on my transfer meds. And a month before my transfer, I got extremely depressed. And I went through this whole other um, like wave of, of grief and letting go and loss and just like, okay, this is, this is for sure the road that I'm going down, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just want to say like to anyone who's listening that if you feel, if you feel like you're all over the place and back and forth, like I for sure went through that. It wasn't like I was in a dark hole and then I slowly climbed out. I would like get a little bit out and then I'd fall back in, yeah. get halfway out, go even deeper, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's definitely a messy process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure I'm still going to, I'm sure I'll have times that I have grief come up um, or that little infertility wound will get nudged. Um, I know I'm not like completely done going through the grief and all of that. So I just think that like when you're going through this, you need to give yourself grace. And just allow yourself to feel what you need to feel and just be kind to yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so true. It's not like a linear process. It's like, you know, I've described it as waves in my book. And it is kind of like you get hit with a wave and then you just kind of recover from it. And then here comes another wave. And sometimes it's like it takes you under. It's a huge wave that crashes into you and you're taking under. You're thinking, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to get up from this one. This one's going to, you know, tow me to sea. But then you do. You get back up and and you realize like, my gosh, I've gotten back up every time. And each time it's got easier. But man, you do get beat up along the way in those waves. You know, it's exhausting. And so it just, yeah, you're so, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And it's good to know for people out there that it is messy. It's, it's messy. It's muddy. It's Mm -hmm. unclear, but know that if you're in the muddiness and in the mess that there is stuff happening, things are happening, even though it doesn't feel like it. It's like the Lotus that comes from the mud. You know, you don't expect anything's happening, but before you know it, all this stuff was going on, you couldn't see. And out comes this this beautiful bloom. So it is so true. And I I know that yeah. it helped to hear that for me when I was in the mud. It feels mm-hmm. muddy. It feels like there's no progress here, but that doesn't mean there isn't. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to rate it, to share it, and to subscribe. Have a great day.